Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning. It's good to see you again. I just saw you a few minutes ago, but good to see you again. Uh, we're... Um, uh, if it's your first time with us, hey, welcome. We just appreciate you being here. And if you just came in just to use the air conditioning, God bless you too, okay? <laughs> we're okay with that also. You get to hear the Word of God. But um, we're going to start a new series today, but also we're going to start a new verse today at the beginning of our message. You know how I like to do that, get you through a verse. Anybody remember that at all? Can you remember earlier this morning at all? No, I'm just, um, Hebrews 4.12 it's, this is the verse we're going to begin. Uh, we, we'll probably take about four or five weeks in it, but I'm going to take it piece at a time, and I'll give you a piece today. Uh, I want you to read it with me, so I'll count to three, and you all read it out loud. Help me out here. Here we go. One, two, three. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's a mouthful when it comes to the Word of God, right? Now, I want to focus on the first couple of things here that the Word of God is. It is living. It is active. In other words, it's alive. It's not just letters and, and words on a page. It's alive. And not only is it alive, it is highly active. There's movement to it. And one of the great examples of this, and by the way, how many of you who read your scriptures regularly, you've had multiple times where the scriptures just kind of explode at you when you're reading it? Raise your hand if, if you know what I'm talking about, okay? The rest of you have never had that experience, okay? Then you're going to start to have that experience. But it just jumps at you, and it really convicts you, and that's what I mean by it. It really convicts you about maybe the way you're living, things you need to be doing. But one of the great examples of this living and active Word of God is do you remember after the resurrection and Jesus is join, he joins the two guys walking on the road to Emmaus and he begins to dialogue with them. It says that he talked to them from Moses on telling them about the Messiah, pointing out in the Old Testament the Messiah. First off, when he says he's talking about Moses onward, that's the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he is validating those five Old Testament books right there. Never forget that. He is validating them as God's word and that they are truth right there. But then it says he, he goes to their home and they're very hospitable people in that era. He, he goes and he dines with them in their home and they realize it's him and then afterwards he vanishes and then they make this statement. They say, were not our hearts burning within us when he spoke? And see, Jesus is the word of God. And when he spoke, it began to burn in them. And that's exactly what the Word of God does in us. If we choose to read it and allow ourselves to be open to it, it just begins to burn. I will add one more thing, that when you or I have an opportunity to share about Jesus Christ, and we may walk away and think, that didn't go well at all. In fact, I think I turned them off to Jesus. No, you didn't. Because once you spoke that Word of God to them, that thing begins to rattle in them and rattle in them and the spirit of God will activate in those moments and do the work that you and I could never do in our life to reach them so always remember that about the power of the word of God amen amen okay so today we're starting this new series 
It's called Master Class. It's on the spiritual disciplines, one of the four of the big ones. Today we're going to talk about prayer. Next week's going to be worship. Third week's going to be solitude or silence. And the fourth week is going to be on fasting. And we're going to give you real practical steps because every one of these different disciplines will, are designed to draw you closer to God. And that's, I think, what every one of us wants. So today I'm going to talk to you about prayer. Now, in a second I'll come walk down, but I'm going to warn you because I spoke at Men's Fellowship yesterday and it's hard for me to memorize two messages in, one, in a two-day span and usually I can memorize it and walk down. So I'm going to walk down there in a second, but I may forget something, okay, and run back up. Is that okay with everybody? You, it has to be. You have no choice. You're in this room. So um, just so you know, okay. Um, but I want to start off with something that's really it's kind of a fascinating thing. Look at Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And it says this. And would you read it with me? Here we go. It happened that while Jesus, in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Now let me tell you also that I'm not going to follow a text like I normally do. I'm going to jump around with verses, so that's also a little awkward for me. I'm not quite used to that anymore. Um, but notice that Jesus um, is asked by one of his disciples. He said, teach us to pray. Now, isn't that kind of strange? Because these are Jewish men, right? They've grown up in Jewish homes. Have they not seen mom and dad pray many times to Yahweh God? I'm sure they have prayed many times. They're Jewish men. They believe in Yahweh God. So you would think if anybody knows how to pray, these guys know how to pray. But then one of them says to Jesus, hey, um, can you teach us to pray? Can you show us how to do this? And so it, there seems to be kind of a learning curve, doesn't there? Now, how many of you remember your first bicycle? Raise your hand if you remember that first bike, okay? Now, the rest of you have no recollection of your first bike. Okay, good. Got it. All right. Um, I remember my first bike, and when I was growing up, we didn't have training wheels, guys. It was like, this is like Evil Knievel, or that's it, man. And they would put you on that bike. My first bike, I was eight years old. It was a Huffy, a used Huffy, and they put me on it with a couple other people in our street, in our street, right? Car's coming, you know, because our parents cared about us back then. <laughs> and we're going down the street, and I'm driving. And then there comes a time when they say, turn. And I've got to turn, all right? And I'm turning. And it did not turn out well. I went down. I, I fell down. And it was the first of multiple falls before I ever got the hang of riding that bike. Now, hold that thought. Let me flash forward. I remember the night, my son Nathan, who was the host today, I remember when he was 18 years old, we got him a, a little Ford Ranger truck stick shift for, for college, and I remember saying, it's a stick shift. He goes, oh, no, I, I want it. He just wanted a car. He had no idea what he was getting into, okay? I, we, we all drove stick growing up, right? I'm, a lot of us, and you have to learn that, and it's like, it's great on the freeway. It's a lot of fun. And so, um, and, and Dan, I know you like stick. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend, okay? But, um, but, um, so I took him one night. He's got to learn to drive a stick shift. How many of you know the crossings where Regal Theater is? Crossings down in South End? 
So how many, I just, okay. How many know where Old Navy is right there? Old Navy, okay, good. So one night, I take them there in this, in this truck, and after hours, there's nobody there. Everything's closed down. Most of the cars are gone because I want them to be able to go through the, wherever he's got to go, whatever he's got to run over. This is what it is, man. And so I take them in there. I said, okay, here you go. And I show them what to do and everything. And of course, they do the thing that everybody does. I go, you know, just a little bit of gas. Uh, you, know, you know how they do that? They start revving up real high like they're going to pop. And then they pop the clutch. And for the next 45 minutes, I really honestly felt like I was on a bucking bronco, you know. Because you know how they, they're just driving. It's like, it's the whole time like this. And it's like, and it was the whole, it never changed. I've been thinking, he will never learn to drive a six shift. And so after 45 minutes or thereabouts, I said, let's just go home. Let me drive it home. Go home. And I thought, he'll never learn to drive it. And of course, he learned to drive it. Just like I learned to ride a bike. Let me tell you something about that. Prayer is no different. You learn it. You learn things about it. You learn how it fits in your life with your certain style and different things like that. We all learn these things. Now, some of you in this room, just to give you balance and lessen or avoid any guilt in our lives, some of you are great at prayer. You're like intercessory prayer people. You're like, you know, you're, you, you, know, you live in Newark, you have a big buckle, PW, prayer warrior. You walk around with it, man. I mean, that's just like you, man. And so that's your deal. That's what you're so good at. You could say, you know, I could say, let's go pray for three hours. You go, no, let's go four because you're an intercessory prayer. And I'm going, I don't want to be around you anymore, you know, because it's, it's just too much, you know. See, some of us are like that. Not all of us are like you. Some of us have other strong bends. It doesn't mean we don't pray and we're not supposed to pray. I'm not saying that, but I'm just trying to lessen the guilt on some of you that are not the intercessory prayer warrior type. Like for me, the Word of God, I could read that all day long, study it all day, hour after hour after hour. I don't get tired of it. Some of us in this room, five minutes, you go, I'm out, you know, and you're done with it. It's just you have different spiritual bents that are kind of more, I don't want to say to your liking, it's kind of the way God made you type thing. So we all read the Bible, we all pray, we all call to do that, but some of us are stronger in some areas than others. But we're all called to pray. Now, did that make sense? Okay, good. So today, um, uh, we're going to, um, I'm going to give you two points. The first point's kind of a bigger point, but then point two has four bullet process ideas to it that I want to kind of help, I want to destroy some thoughts and show you some things that might be clogging up the prayer or prayers in your life and stuff like that. So uh, let's, just, let's just get to it right now. So point one in your notes, if you're taking notes on prayer, number one is the closer I draw to God, the more I see my need to be transformed into the image of Christ. Now put that verse up on the screen and uh, I want you to read this with me. And it says this, read it out loud. One, two, three. If you abide in me and my words abiding you ask whatever you wish and what okay here, here I come I'm, I'm gonna give it a shot without my notes um, so um, we all love the second half of that verse don't we yes or no yes. yeah oh yeah ask whatever I want man yeah I like Christianity and it will be done huh and so but the problem with that is this if we just take the second half of that verse and don't look at the first half of that verse, we're going to be in for a big letdown. Because you see, it says, ask whatever you ask, that denotes that you're talking to God. 
that gives you the, the idea that you're praying and you're talking to him and you're asking him for stuff. But within that, Jesus, who is speaking in that verse, he said that you have to abide in him and in his word. Now the word abide, it means to stay. It means to dwell. It means you gotta be right there with Jesus. You gotta hang out with him. You gotta be close to him. You've gotta really seek him. Now, how does this work? Because the whole idea of point one is, the closer I draw to him, the more I'm gonna transform. Now how does that work? Well, it works like this, and I'll show you how it works in prayer. It, it works in that as I get close to Jesus and pray to Jesus and get to know him more, I get to know his heart. Has anyone found that to be true? Now, you cannot eliminate that from the word of God. You need them both because that's how you find God's heart and as you pray. So you find out what he's like and you're learning and you're growing in this because you find his heart. You find God's likes. You find his dislikes. You begin to see who he really is, what he's really about. Now, as you and I draw closer to him, then something happens, doesn't it? And this is what I'll call pre-transformation. And that is, we begin to look at what God is like versus what we're like. Have you ever noticed that you kind of fall short? That you kind of don't measure up? Anybody notice that? It's like, oh man, I don't measure up to God. Well, that's a, not a bad thing. Because now, it's an illumination. We come to the reality that, oh my gosh, I'm not treating my wife right. Or, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be saying those things about the coworker to other coworkers. Oh my gosh, you know, I need to quit belly aching and just be thankful in my life. You start to find all these little things and it starts to transform you if you're really paying attention because now you're seeing the heart of God. Does that make sense? And as you get the heart of God, then, then because that, you understand it, now that there's a transfer. Now let me explain that transfer, okay? I'm a movie guy, right? No. No? no You've been around me too long. How many of you have ever seen The Green Mile? You know, first service, I said that, they go, oh yeah! You know, they got all excited. I go, we're not showing it today, okay? <laughs> but uh, there, there's, it's a great movie. I love that movie. And um, there, there's this guy in the movie, John Coffey, and that guy was such a good actor. Passed away. I, I was sad to hear that years back when he passed away John Coffey you know sounds like the drink but not spell like it remember he'd say that and Tom Hanks is the prison guard and the Green Mile is the um, is where they keep the inmates and, and they're on death row and they're going to be go to the electric chair one at a time and John Coffey he's a man who's very unique and he's in there and he's going to be he's going to be taking the electric chair eventually now this guy, he uh, is accused of murdering children, but he did not do it. Never did it at all. But he's going to be killed in the electric chair because they've condemned him for something he's never done. Now, sidebar. For those of you who never catch it, some of you already know this, John Coffey, J.C. J.C., he also has miraculous powers. J.C., He's convicted of a crime he never did commit and he will die in place of someone who's on that death row that actually committed the crime. Isn't that wild? Does Hollywood steal our script or what? They take our script all the time. Now, there comes that moment in the movie. Tom Hanks, prison guard, 
And they're starting to see that, you know, John Covey's good. He's different. He's got miraculous powers. Something about this guy. And then John Covey at that one moment in the movie, let me tell you, he goes, he tells Tom Hanks, give me your hand. And the other guy goes, don't, get, don't do it, don't do it. And he, give me your hand. He takes his hand. And when he takes his hand, Tom Hanks, the prison guard, all of a sudden, it just hits him. And now he's allowed to see into the mind of John Coffey. And he sees what really happened. Who really killed the children? It wasn't John Coffey. John Coffey tried to get there and save the children. But he got there too late. And there was deep pain in his heart because of that. And, and they let go. And Tom Hanks saw all of it. And then John Coffey, after he lets go, says, it's like that every day for me. It's like that every day for me. And you, know, you look at that and you think, can you imagine God looking down at humanity and seeing all the evil and the sin, what people do to each other, what families do to each other? Can you imagine? It's like, it's like that every day for Jesus Christ. Every day. But back to the issue. Tom Hanks, when he took his hand, he got to look into the life of John Coffey and he got to see things. He got to see what's in John Coffey. Do you know that when you and I pray and we develop a prayer life, that we look into the heart of God? That we begin to see what's really in God's heart? Now, that's not where it ends though. Because once you begin to see what God's heart is like, then God's heart begins, begins to transfer. Because in the movie, do you remember near the end of it? Tom Hanks is old now. Anybody remember that? And he's talking to that woman, and he knows he's going to outlive her. He's outlived his kids. He says, something happened between me and John that moment, way back when. Something transferred from him to me. And now Tom Hanks is living a long, long life. And that's true in our life with God. When we draw close to God, there is a transfer. There is something that happens. And we begin to get the heart of God in our life. And once we get that heart of God and get the heart of God and get the heart of God, it begins to change our heart. Does it not? Does it not? Now, and when that starts to happen, friends, listen. When that starts to happen, now you can take that statement, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted you because now you're no longer praying I'm no longer praying for what just I want I'm not God the disposition of the universe is not on whatever I say I got the heart of God now and so now God's heart is in me and he's putting in me what to pray for and when I'm praying God's heart and God's prayer now now God can answer that prayer does that make sense? Because it's not just carte blanche to do whatever I want in my life and to try to tell God whatever I want Him to do. That's not the way it works. But the closer I draw to Him, the more I take on His heart, I begin to transform, my prayers transform, and now I can ask whatever, you know, whatever I wish because it's God's heart and He will do it for me in that respect. Now, let's move on. Point two, I'm going to give you four process things I think some will be longer than the other but that we need to learn and the first one is this we need to learn childlike humility now, we need to learn childlike humility when, I, when we pray 
This is like a very important thing. John 15, 5, if you would, Reggie, it says this, and would you all read it with me? It says, one, two, three, I am the, stop, that's Jesus Christ saying, I am the vine. So he's the stump, okay? He says, you are the, okay, stop. So we're the branches on the stump. Can the branch exist without the stump? There's no way. Jesus is giving you a very vivid illustration of his life and how we relate with him. It says, he who abides in me. So if a branch stays connected to the stump and I in him, he bears what? Much fruit. Stop. So if the branch is broken off and not connecting to the stump, does that branch bear fruit? No, it dies. And a lot of Christians walk around like they're born again, but there's a lot of death in them. For apart from, say the last line with me, for apart from me, you can do what? I can't do anything. And that means of anything long-term, eternal value. I just can't do it. So that means if I can't do anything apart from Jesus and I'm a branch that needs to be stuck into the vine, I think that means that I should have a desperation for God, right? That I need Him all the time. You know, there's a church in Revelation, last, Old Testament, last New Testament letter. They, they lost their desperation for God. It's Laodicea. And it says this. This is Jesus speaking about them. He says, Because you say, I am rich and I become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Jesus says, look, you think you got it together, and just because you have a lot, and just because you've seen a lot of good things go in your life, you think you don't need me anymore. And you, that couldn't be farther from the truth. And I think as Americans, we're kind of susceptible to that. Any amens? Because even the poorest in America are still living like kings compared to third world countries. Until you've walked the streets of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, you don't know what poverty is. Until you've walked in the, in, the, in the dump of Tijuana and ministered in there, you don't know what poverty is. It's really, really bad in those places. Some of you have seen it. I've been there. I've been in those places. It's not fun. And so we, as Americans, we're a blessed people, but we can't lose our desperation for God. Amen to that one? Now, let me explain it to you this way. I have grandkids, and now that I have grandkids, I have a... An unlimited source of illustrations. So, right? Isn't it great? My son Nathan, he has a daughter, Lincoln. She's going to be three next month. This is his oldest. And uh, when I go over there, and, you know, how many of you grandfathers, it's like it's not fair because they just want your wife all the time. Does anybody have that experience at all? Okay, so if some of you, my wife, they, she's called Gigi as ground. You know, why don't you just call her Gidget? I don't know, Gigi, where'd you get that stuff at? And so I go over to see the kids one night last week because you, you had women's fellowship, so Olivia came here. And I went to see the, the kids here. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm begging, Nolan, please come with granddaddy. Uh, uh, and he wants his mama, you know, it's like. And then Lincoln, come here. Now, and she's looking and she walks up. I'm sitting over there. There's a coffee table, not this long. She comes to the coffee table, and she goes like, this is what she does. I'm sitting there. I go, Lincoln, come here. She goes, where's Gigi? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm granddaddy, okay? And so, and then here's what Lincoln does. She goes, come here. Come here. Come. Come here. And she'll put out her hand, and you have to take her hand. And she takes me at her house, takes me upstairs into her bedroom. She opens up her closet. And she goes, pick me up. And I pick her up. See, she has these toys on the top shelf of her closet. And she can't reach them. She's manipulating me. <laughs> and I get her up there and she goes, and then at that age they talk like squirrels, right? 
what are you saying? What are you saying? I remember one time I'm sitting here, Olivia's here, and she and Lincoln's in the middle, and she goes, Okay, you know, I don't know. So then I get the toy down, and once I get the toy down, she has the toy. Guess what? She's done with me. She's done with me, man. See, that's the most dangerous time in prayer, isn't it? When God answers our prayer? Isn't it? Because we're desperate for God. Oh, God, I need you. Oh, God, oh God, where are you? And then when God answers the prayer, where's Gigi? Then we're gone. Until the next time we need something, right? And that's a danger. That's the danger zone for us, and we've got to be careful with it. So we need to never lose our desperation for God. Now, the second thing I want to share with you is this. Learn to recognize and release guilt. Now, this is a big one for us Christians because, let's be honest, I'm I'm not going to stay long in this point. How many of us in this room, be honest, you're going to help somebody else. How many of you feel at times, or regularly, that you cannot come to God in prayer because you're not getting it perfectly right in life? Raise your hand. Come on, raise them up there. Be honest. Keep them high. Put them up high. Look around, those of you with your arms up. Look around. You're not the only one. That should help you. Okay? But here's the thing. There's something you're forgetting. There's something you're forgetting. When it comes to all your sins, even the ones you committed 10 minutes ago, here's what the Bible says about it. One of the things, of many things it says about it, and they're all consistent. In Hebrews 9.14, watch this. How much more will the blood of Christ the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself, Jesus offered himself without blemish to God. He was the perfect sacrifice, not you and not me. But that perfect sacrifice cleansed your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Did you catch that? That the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience and the word Greek word means catharsis. It means to cleanse. It cleanses everything. But you just gotta believe it. You gotta accept it then it's all washed away. And when you accept that and you believe it, you can draw close to God anytime. You'll never feel like you've got to go do about 100 good works to feel like, oh, God loves me again. You'll never feel that way. You will always feel like, no, I'm clean. I'm clean. I'm under the blood. Now watch when Jesus dies on the cross. Watch what happens. This is great symbolism of something that actually happened, though. It says, be, this is when, the moment Jesus dies, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was What? torn into and it says in gospels that it was torn into from top to bottom you know how big that veil was it's 60 feet tall it's 30 feet wide it's 10 inches thick and God just rips that thing in the temple now what's the symbolism why is that important because that veil separated the holy place from the holiest of holies where the ark was where they sprinkled the blood once a year to atone for people's sin. That veil, nobody could go in there but the priest once a year and he better go through all the washings or he dies. And when that thing, when Jesus dies on the cross and his blood is shed that forgives us of our sins and cleanses our conscience, that veil rips in half and that de- the declaration is open house, access to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? You should have you said, praise the Lord on that one right there. Because it cleanses you of all things that I have access to God anytime I want to. Now, let's move on. Number three, you got to exercise faith. 
You got to exercise faith. Okay, so exercise faith. What, what does that mean? <clears throat> that means this. If we're going to ask God and talk to God and pray to God and got everything, shouldn't we expect him to answer? Yes or no? But if I come to God in prayer and I have no expectation of him answering, why would he bother answering me? I'm not even looking for an answer. I'm, I'm coming like a practicing atheist, really. I'm not even believing he's going to answer me. He will. And you've got to come to God with expectation. Now, guys, the bigger question maybe within that one is this. How does God talk to you? Right? Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I know a few people over the years have told me they have. A, um, I locked them up. No, I <laughs> No, but some people have heard the audible voice of God. I'm not, I just like to joke. But I never have. So how does God speak? The best way for me to put it is he drops thoughts upon your mind. The problem is we don't think it's God. We think, ah, oh, it's just me. Really? Does the Holy Spirit live in you? Oh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, okay. That means if the Spirit of God lives in you, is it a far jump to be able to drop a thought in your head? Your mind is Holy Spirit user-friendly because you have the Spirit of God living in you. So he'll drop thoughts upon your mind. Another way to say it, he gives you impressions or inclinations, things, and you know it's in your head. It's like it's a very strong inclination. Now you balance that with the Word of God, Correct. You always balance it with the word of God. You can't just go willy-nilly and all that, that's it. You always balance it with the word of God. But you've got to expect God to speak to you, and he will speak to you. Now, let me give you the fourth thing you've got to look for. Be willing to respond. Be willing to respond. This is a real serious one. James 1, 22 to 25 says this. Now watch. But prove yourselves to be what? Doers of the word. Not merely who do what? Who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, now he's going to give you James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is Jesus' actual half-brother. Can you imagine what it took for him to believe his brother was the Messiah? At one point, if you know your Gospels, you know that him and the family thought that Jesus was out of his mind. And now, he looks at him as the Messiah. That's another great evidence of an eyewitness that Jesus is who he is. He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Huh. Now watch this. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, does it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but what? An effectual what? Doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Okay, let me tell you what just happened there. He says the hearer looks at themselves in the mirror and when they walk away from the mirror they forget everything in the mirror. That word for looks when he looks in the mirror and forgets here's what it means. It means you just look you glanced and you walked away. But in verse 25 
when he says looks again about the doer this is what that means it means you come to the mirror and you go and you stay there and you stay there and you keep looking and you become a doer because you're right there you're staying with Christ it's a difference between a photo and an x-ray some people live their Christianity like a photo it's all surface but you want further you want, a, you want an x-ray you want to go deeper and deeper it's a difference between the person that takes Sunday morning teaching and puts it into practice on Monday and the person who hears Sunday morning preaching and Monday they forget everything put nothing into practice you got to respond listen listen somebody watch we could be right here praying, God, do this, please. I need you to do this. And what if the heavens opened and they told you and you heard the voice say, okay, but you need to back up now. Because in 2012, I told you to do this and you didn't do it. 2014, I told you to do this. You didn't bother doing it. 2016, remember when I told you to do this? to change the way you operate this and you didn't do it over in 2019 I, I told you do this and you, you said nah 2022 I said do this and you didn't do it and now you stand here in 2023 and you want me to do this for you you need to go back and look at all the things I told you to do and do them because they're all in the word of God do them do them be a doer because then you'll be blessed then you'll be blessed. I just think sometimes God says sorry I would have done that for you in the first year or two of your faith when you were in your infancy of your spirituality but once you start to mature in your faith at least you should be maturing we can't play that way anymore you gotta start doing it you gotta be a doer you gotta respond now I went and saw that movie, Sound of Freedom. How many have seen that movie? It's, it's incredible. It really is. Um, I mean, it made me mad. There's no doubt about it. Um, certain things because, and I have to remember, it's a fallen world and there's ugliness in this world. It just is. And, and I know it's getting a lot of negative press and stuff and I just don't get it. I honestly don't get it why the people would have negative press against it. But um, I, I would tell you to go see it. Unless that stuff, they don't show anything, but if that kind of stuff just really will bug you, and you, yeah, don't do it. But it's just bringing awareness to the trafficking problem and children and stuff. And anything with children, I'm just like, oh. you know what I mean? And, and, and especially if people come and try to combat me on that one, I would tell you, oh, don't, don't. It's kids. There's a scene in the movie. Jim Caviezel is playing the main character. It's based on a true story. And he's trying to rescue a kid who's been trafficked. And he's set up with this guy. I'm just going to give you this little piece of the movie. I'm not going to ruin anything for you. But he's set up with this to meet this person, this guy that... Um, rescues children what he does is he buys the children 
under the presumption that he's a trafficker, but then he sets him free. You remember that guy with the cigar? They're sitting at that little table there, and they're not going to work together yet, but this changes everything. And if you've seen the, the previews where Jim Caviezel says, because God's children are not for sale, it happens in this little sequence of scene. But then the other, but then Caviezel asks the other guy, he goes, what got you into this? Why are you rescuing the kids? And the guy sits back down, and he tells his story. And he tells how he used to be on the other side of human trafficking. And he shares a little bit of how evil he was. And there comes a moment in his life where he realizes how evil he is, how dark he is. And then he says to Jim Caviezel, in that moment, I knew basically this is wrong. And I got to do right. And here's the words he uses. He says, it was so powerful. He says, when God tells you something to do, you better do it. You better do it. And that changes life. And his whole life changed on a mission to save kids. Just to save those kids. Those sweet, innocent little children. You better do it. See, when God, when we draw near to God, if He tells something, you got to do it. You can't put it off. You can't justify it away. Now, let me finish. Can, can I finish with a a Jim Del Campo illustration? Okay. So, um, a couple weeks ago. Um, if you're in church work, people seem to want to bring donuts all the time. When I was younger, that was fine, okay. <laughs> now it's like, come on, guys. Now, I'm the type of, and they brought donuts these two weeks ago. And they brought donuts. And I mean, if I, if I could, if I was young and I would gladly eat a donut in the morning and one at night. Anybody with me on that? There'd be no, there's no problem with me on that one. I, but I, I won't let, my, let myself do that anymore. And so they brought these donuts, and I can't eat any because I already bought a donut that morning. I went to the donut shop. Really? Will you do this to me? Wow, how can you be so mean? And um, so the day progresses, and there's still donuts left over. You know those brown boxes of the, they come in the, the, the dozen there. And, and, and I like apple fritters. Any apple fritter people right here? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, I heard that. And so I look in there, and there's two apple fritters. You know that they make blueberry fritters now? Is God alive or what? They're so good. But I see these two apple fritters. And I say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, take them home. Because we're standing, and I, and I get two plates, and I, one for me and one for Olivia, because, you know, I share. And I put them in plates, and I cover them up, and, and I'm going to take them home. And so um, I'm about to leave. And it hits me. I go, there's another donut in there that Olivia likes better than apple fritters. And it's just, I go, that's right. She likes that more than she likes this. 
And so I unwrapped it. I put, popped that one back in the box. And I got the one that I know she likes a little more. And I took them both home. But here's the deal. How did I know she liked the other one more? How did I know? Because I have been living with that woman for 42 years this September. Meaning Mary. Now, you can clap, but there's people here who have been married longer than I have. I'm just... They're the, they're the heroes. And so... Um, and so... Because I... But I... For 42 years, I, I kind of know her, you know? I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't like. And so I was able to... Oh, no, she don't, she'd rather have this one right here. I know her heart. And because I know her heart... I brought her the one she likes because of 42 years of closeness. Listen, prayer. When you draw close to God year after year, year after year, year after year, you come to a place where you know God's heart. You know exactly what He wants. You know exactly what's on His heart. And when you know that, then you're going to start falling in line with his heart. And you're going to bring him the right donut. And when all that starts falling into place, because now you have God's heart. See, I could have taken her to the fritter, but that would have been what I wanted. But that wouldn't work. That's not the best. But when you start doing what God wants and draw close to him, then you know what his heart is and it becomes your heart. And then, and only then, back to the beginning you can ask whatever you wish and it will be granted you and it will happen for you because it's no longer what I want it's no longer my life it's what God wants and so friends just remember God's favorite is not the apple fritter (laughs) but you draw close to God you'll find his heart and when you find his heart you'll pray his will and then things will begin to happen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are a great, great God. And we have a lot to learn when it comes to prayer. And whatever different elements we put in there today that we need to take home, well, I pray we do. And I pray for all of us here that we would begin to develop our prayer life little by little. Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't underwhelm yourself. But little by little. And begin to draw close to God. Begin to draw close to Him. And then watch what happens. Watch what happens. And you are allowed to draw close because of the blood of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews says you can draw close boldly to the throne of grace. To the throne of grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said amen and amen. Would you stand up with me, everybody? So here we go. Would you repeat after me? I remembered, okay? Yeah, here we go. All of us together. Lord, keep me outward focused. Lord, keep me outward focused. 
and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. God bless you. If you need prayer, come and check these people out in the corner here. They'd love to pray for you. Have a great rest of your day. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.